your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're talking about sleep paralysis, paranormal or normal. You know, sleep paralysis is a very terrifying experience and it's, it's surprisingly, it's pretty common. And it can involve um, the inability to move. Auditory and visual hallucinations are taking place, and there's a strong sense of presence, of deep breathing, sensations of movement, intense emotion. And the causes and the interpretations of, of this paralysis is uh, something that, that uh, I'm going to cover with some suggestions. And I'm also going to go into why it happens and how it happens. But, you know, oftentimes people claim that their eyes are open and they usually get the sense that something is in the room is happening. And it's so it's kind of like an uh, uh, like a ghost. And it's, it's sort of a belief that something's going to um, go off and then and then maybe a shape gathers or a sort of black or, or black cloud gathers. And it's like the devil or monster. And, and it comes in up to you or into you or onto you, and, and it, you can feel like it's weight, uh, basically, and this is uh, some accounts of what people say, that there's basically a belief that something's holding you, and it's going to drag you down, and, and, and then there's this feeling of sensations in your body, it, it's multisensory, and, and it, you can sort of smell, too, and the sensations of your body often lift, uh, and uh, like you're going down, uh, maybe you can't move, you obviously can't move, and you try to move, and you can't. You try to talk, and you can't. You try to use all your ability to, to move, and you just can't. And, and it's kind of like a, a hum in your throat or, or, a, or a gargle or a, you know just kind of a scream, and, and it gets louder, and the more awake you get and the more you can't do anything, and then eventually you may break out of it and wake up and bang, it's like you've just been through some experience that is out of this world and beyond you. And, uh, and, and I'm just kind of describing what, what many people report. But these come in all kinds of different facets. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I'm just kind of giving you an, a sense of an experience that people often report that's similar to this. And you know, these amazing experiences stay with you. For a long time, and they color your day, maybe your week. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's called this sleep paralysis, and it's basically when you're in your REM stage of sleep, and uh, it's kind of like a, a parasomnia. And and what I mean by that is is you're you're frozen, you're stuck in the dream, and you can't get out, and you're out of it's it's in control of you, and so it creates kind of like a panic attack. And, and, and you have that frozen uh, stance that you take. And, and so, you know, let's just describe it. Um, sleep paralysis is, is basically a, a period of uh, transient, consciously experienced paralysis when you're going to sleep or you're waking up. And during an episode, basically the person is fully conscious and able to open their eyes, but aware that it's not possible to move. 
their 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 limbs, their head, their body, and they they're also uh, experiencing the the perception of respiratory difficulties oftentimes, and a very strong acute anxiety, which is the precipitous to post traumatic stress disorder. So let's just describe the the REM stage of sleep. Interestingly enough, the REM stage of sleep is there for your mind to process emotions that you were not able to dispense of in the previous day. And what your brain does is it creates a series of dreams that are related or not related at all, and it creates scenarios to elicit those emotions that you did not dispense of in the previous day. And so what basically happens is your mind is dreaming and so your eyes are going back and forth and you're watching things and things as if you're there and inside it. And basically what will happen is those emotions will emote, they will they will release, and then the next morning hopefully you'll move on into your day. Um, oftentimes many people don't remember. But in these particular types of dreams, people usually do remember and they do carry over in a sense of feelings that you experience by these stages of sleep. Um, you know, individuals might experience hallucinations, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, 75, 80% experience body paralysis and, uh, hallucinations at the same time. And, uh, the kind of hallucinations, um, there's one called pro proprioceptive uh, hallucinations, and I'm sorry, I've not said that word before, so I'm trying to, looking at a definition here, um, uh, and this is by a study from Dots and Parks, 1993, by the way. And so these are sensations of floating, of flying, of out-of-body experiences, uh, feelings of being lifted up or spinning, turning, and sensations similar to those felt when going up or down in a lift. And then there's the tactile hallucinations and these are sensations of pressure of touching or pulling the chest limbs or head pressure on the bed feeling bedclothes moving feelings of tingling of vibration of shaking pain smothering choking these are oftentimes what people experience and uh, and then there's the auditory hallucinations and they're hearing like footsteps or knocking or shuffling uh, breathing, talking, uh, indecipherable whispering, uh, mechanical sounds, humming, and, and other noises. And then there's the visual hallucinations. And once again, this comes from the Dahl Hits and Parks 1993 study of 254 college students. The visual, uh, they see a wisp of cloud or smoke-like substances, areas of intense darkness, uh, like seeing a human or an animal or a monster and possibly interacting with them. And then there's this olfactory, which is the smell or, or gust, uh, gustatory hallucinations. And these, and, and you know, attacks often involve, so that'd be smell or a sense of your, your you know, it correlates with your gut. And so you, you have a sense of bad smell and it affects your, your desire to eat, basically. And these attacks often involve feelings of really intense fear, terror, bliss, joy, anger, feelings of dying or imminent death, and false awakenings are also reported oftentimes, and they believe that they've awoken and the episode's over, only to discover that they're still, in fact, asleep. And, you know, it oftentimes this kind of sleep paralysis 
takes place when the person is lying on a bed. It's it's unlikely if they're in an uncomfortable position or sitting upright. It, it's more likely when the person is lying uh, facing upwards uh, in a sleep position. And you know, there's another study, Cheyenne, uh, Cheyenne, uh, 2002, where an episode can last between a few seconds to 10 minutes and can end either spontaneously or because of intense effort to break the paralysis by the person experiencing or the touch or a voice of another person. Now, why do we want to cover this topic today in the midst of the virus? Well, the truth is a lot of people are in panic. A lot of people are in high alert because they're having to avoid each other and they're isolated and they're alone and they're stuck in their own minds and they can't emote emotions because they're stuck on on Facebook or some other thing to communicate with people. So they're not really, uh, some people are just not good at that. And so they're alone. And oftentimes the dreams are pretty intense because we're not allowed to to dispense of our emotions throughout the day, and so some of this sleep paralysis, which we uh, as as a therapist, um, you you hear a lot about this, is that people tend to experience this. So let's look at who gets this kind of thing. You know, uh, there's a study uh, from La uh, Lavi et al. in 2002 that said uh, 50% of the population will experience sleep paralysis in one form or another, at least once in their lifetime. And some people experience it far more than that. Although sleep paralysis can uh, be a symptom of narcolepsy, which is when a person uh, falls asleep unwillingly during the day, which is about two to five, uh, two, zero two to zero five percent of our population in the United States. But anyway, what, what's the normal symptoms? Well, sleep attacks, overwhelming episodes of drowsiness or sleep. Uh, cataplexy, which is basically a total loss of your muscle tone, you, usually triggered by a really strong emotion. And then there's sleep paralysis, which is consciously experiencing paralysis while falling asleep. And then there's vivid hypnagogic hallucinations, and that's hallucinations at sleep's onset. Now, most narcoleptics do not have the full symptoms. But approximately 17 to 40%, according to American Sleep Disorders Association, experience paralysis. And 20 to 40% have vivid hypnagogic hallucinations right as they go to sleep. So many of these people experience sleep paralysis do, do uh, have that several times a month. And some of them will, will experience this every single time they fall asleep. All right, so what causes this thing? What causes it? Well, it's definitely stress, you know, um, and, and it sometimes happens when you're not stressed, but maybe tired, or maybe you've uh, stayed up too late. Another kind of stress, which is a sort of physical stress, on is is a sort of a feedback cycle that some people experience, and and it's so it's happened when you get a bit stressed. And then it seems to happen more and more, and then you're going to bed thinking, I hope this doesn't happen, which then it does, especially if you've had it before, because the brain will follow patterns that it's already followed before. And, and so, you know, it can be uh, an intrusion of that REM sleep. And, um, and so the muscles of the body are very relaxed, deeply relaxed in the REM stage of sleep. And so that dreamlike element of any uh, hallucinations may result from brain activity. 
And and so, you know, putting it simply, wakefulness has occurred, but the body and part of the brain is still asleep and in that deep relaxation. And so there's a hard, no way to escape from that until you've processed through the dream. And, um, you know, usually REM is about, I don't know, about an hour or two into the sleep experience. And many people experience it at, at, right at the beginning. Some people dream right up until they wake up. And this is because, uh, you know, some people, uh, they just don't go to sleep well. They take a long time to get into that deep stage of sleep. And then they wake up in the morning just after dreaming. And so, and oftentimes those people remember those dreams. You know, um, there's a lot of research that is uh, correlates that the REM stage of sleep is where uh, that that the sleep paralysis comes from. And if you've been a deep dreamer or somebody that dreams quite often, that muscle of the REM uh, stage of sleep has been able to develop into a sense of being able to uh, uh, process really well. And so what it does is it taps into your imagination and it uses that and it builds on the rapport of that, uh, the, the continuous uh, uh, stringing together of building your repertoire of dreams, which can be very interesting. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I remember being shot in a dream and I felt it. I literally felt it in my chest as if I'd really been shot. And also I remember, and, and I couldn't wake up, I couldn't get up, I couldn't do anything, I was just there. I was still alive, but I was just there, and I was, I, was, I was paralyzed. And I remember waking up out of that, and it just scared me to death. And once again, I remember it to this day. Um, I also remember, and this is very powerful, that um, I had a dream that I was in the middle of a swimming pool, and yet the, as I was swimming, the walls of the pool would close in around me. And I remember having that dream several times. And uh, so then it just it, it closed in around me and it got to the point where I couldn't get out, which was really weird. And then I had another dream, which is very strange, that uh, when I was, I was uh, I don't know if you remember those little things where you pull the, pull the button and then the picture comes, it's in a circle and there's little pictures and they click up and then they click up and, and they come to you, you know, as you click, the next picture comes up. Well, I had something like that and I had that as a toy, but I remember having a dream of the cow jumping over the moon and all those characters were like really vivid in my life right there. And, uh, and it, the dream was taking place as if it were that one of those little discs turning the pictures consistently. And then it got faster and faster, faster, faster. And it got me sick. I remember throwing up after that dream. But, you know, dreams can be very, very um, powerful. But can you interpret sleep paralysis? You know, yeah, of course you can. But sometimes you can't. Some what you really are interpreting is your level of stress and what your brain is doing to get rid of it. And, um, you know, you may believe that you're awake and lying in bed, but you can't move because there's like a weight on top of you or some kind of monster. And if you move, it'll kill you. And, and sometimes you hear growling um, and, and you're in a panic and you can't move. And so that sense of out of control. Control, that sense of I can't control this 
is what freaks people out because in the DSM-5, which is very interesting, in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Manual for um, Mental Disorders, um, basically what happens is uh, in that, if you look at it, that the people – the, all those diagnoses, those those first level diagnoses, those human man made diagnoses like depression and anxiety and panic attacks, all that stuff, that comes from from our symptoms. That all of those symptoms of those disorders are the way we're trying to uh, control something we cannot control, and so we fall back on depression or we fall back on anxiety, thinking it's going to control a problem, which it oftentimes just makes it worse. And so the sense of the need to control is a square root of every um, man-made diagnosis as a mental disorder and a form of manifesting itself as symptoms that you've created to deal with something you cannot control. And, and it's just an amazing thing when you look at that. And so your poor brain goes through all kinds of Olympic events throughout the day trying to get rid of these emotions that are not constructive. And then oftentimes we fall back on a cycle of something like depression or anxiety that we basically uh, fall into that and use that to help us. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk really more intensely about the psychology and the sense of, of, uh, of being able to interpret and then correlating it with uh, sometimes mental illness. So come back. on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? 
The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome, everybody. All right, we're talking about sleep paralysis, paranormal or normal. You know, all over the world, people have uh, a different wording for sleep paralysis. Um, In Newfoundland, call it old hag, which is this is described as being awake but paralyzed, usually after having fallen asleep and often feeling that weight in your chest. And then you see this grotesque human or animal on your chest. And so the Newfoundlers... Um, think that it's caused by either working too hard or blood stagnating when they lie on their back or hostile feelings from another person. Also in in Hong Kong, they call it uh, a ghost oppression. And uh, uh, Chinese people thought of it as the soul of the person's vulnerable to the influence of spirits during sleep. And... uh, they wrote that in a book written around 403 to 221 BC. And those they call, uh, there were six types of dreams. The E-Ming, the dreams of surprise, are actually sleep paralysis and distinct from Jo-Ming, which is fearful dreams. The, and, and, and the Indians in Canada, the Inuit Indians, uh, they often call it the shaman or a malevolent spirit's Japan sees sleep paralysis as a kanashibari and is related to the magic of the old Buddhist gods uh, like Photo uh, Mayoho. And historically, it was believed that the monks could use the magic to paralyze people in their sleep. And, uh, you know, and more often uh, related to uh, the belief that evil spirits can cause the phenomenon. And in St. Lucia, which is an island, it's called Kokoma, and it's alleged to be used, uh, caused by the spirits of unbaptized babies who haunt the area. And in, in Korea, it's called ha we nulita which can be translated as being squeezed by scissors. So a lot of cultures have their own interpretation of sleep paralysis, uh, and often attribute it to some supernatural or paranormal type of uh, experience. You know, so oftentimes uh, it's also dependent on the age or the, the culture that you live in and how the sleep paralysis is uh, treated or how the sleep paralysis is perceived. Some people just call it just what it is in their mind, which is another experience in life. And some just try to bring it to life. But it's a fascinating phenomenon, and we we have to have more awareness. And I think these days we're we're starting to see more awareness of how this kind of isolation living uh, can affect our psychology and even our sleep. You know, you stumble into conscious from this foggy dream, and you're staring at the the back of your eyelids, and and then all of a sudden a silver light crawls through the legs of your lashes, and your your eyes rattle, and and Uh, You strain to pry your eyes open, but you can't move and your chest is sinking. That's kind of freaky, you know, especially if something's whispering and something's there. It's like, woo, you know, this phenomenon of steep paralysis is where, you know, basically as I redefined, as I defined before, but I want to redefine it because we're in a different segment, is a person awakens from sleep to find they're unable to move. 
And uh, once again, that happens in the REM stage of sleep, and it's very vivid uh, things happening that can be very scary. And all of a sudden, your body is paralyzed, you're smelling, you're seeing, you're feeling as if you're standing there, and it's a living experience. But what it is is a very, very, very uh, uh, vivid dream. But the, the biggest symptoms that are universal is feeling held down, fearing a strange presence, and how our minds could be so easily uh, fooled by these hallucinations also freaks people out. You know, it, it's almost like you, you're, you're schizophrenic or something. You know, you moved into some kind of a, a deep, deep hallucination. And it's also possible that there is a correlation with schizophrenia in a sense of not saying that you would be schizophrenic, but in a sense that the brain has the mechanism to go into vivid hallucinations. As we commonly see people who are not taking their medication, they're out on the streets talking to themselves in a very vivid way, think that it's a real experience for them, but it's not for us. And so they're interacting with something in their, their imagination. And so we obviously, our brain has some kind of mechanism to create this kind of event. And, you know, a lot of psychiatric experts uh, recommend uh, um, about seven to nine hours of sleep every day to help your brain recover from the previous day. And uh, if you have a lot of stress, uh, a lot of burdens, a lot of, like finances can be something, or a pending divorce, or you know, bit you know, sickness in the family. Uh, these things can freak people out and cause major sleep problems. Oftentimes, during those very, very stressful times, about 70% of Americans admit they have some major uh, sleep problems. And so, you know, you have to look. Also, there's some mental illnesses that are associated with sleep disorders like depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar. Now, I'm talking about sleep disorders. I'm talking necessarily just about um, the, the, uh, this kind of a... a uh, uh, sleep paralysis. So, you know, depression is often like a mood disorder. And obviously, it has sadness and hopelessness and a lack of energy. And uh, insomnia often comes along with depression, uh, either sleeping too little, and then there's hypersomnia, which is sleeping too much. And you either wake up repeatedly during the night because of anxiety and emptiness, or find sleep is a way to escape your negative thoughts and your loss of joy. And so repeated insomnia and hyperinsomnia may worsen the depression symptoms. And also with the anxiety associated with the feelings of panic and fear and uneasiness, as well as the uh, uh, inability to be still and calm. So, you know, the biggest deal is to, to help yourself find a sense of peace in where you're at. The need to control anything you can't control you, you got to let it go. You got to make peace with it. You got to accept it. And once you're willing to accept what you cannot control, then you can decide on what you can do about it. You know, it's not important what happens to us. What's important to life is how we react to what happens to us. And so if we're going to have a balanced life, we control our choice of reaction. And that is the most important thing for people to understand in their psychological life in their in their 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 psychology of their living and, and their their philosophy of living is that if you have peace, you also have hope. If you have peace, you also have intuition.
If you have peace, you also have faith that something good will come out of difficult situations. If you have peace, if you have sleep paralysis, what's interesting is you will rebound and you'll rebound just fine. But the people that live in their disorders like anxiety, which is basically feelings of panic or fear and uneasiness, well, what's the opposite of faith? Fear. So if people live in fear and they associate to all the negative possible outcomes that could take place in life and they predict ahead that these things might really happen and then they prepare for them, like people when they talk about divorce, they have to get divorced because they're sitting around talking about it and threatening each other with it, forcing each other to prepare for it. And so they eventually get there. And then there's, uh, you know, so what I'm trying to say is with anxiety, if you live in faith and you take leaps of faith and, and you take calculated risks, you're going to enjoy your life because then you're going to break through. If you're anxious and depressed, do the opposite of what you're feeling, which is to give to someone else. Give to other people and you will give to yourself. That's how you break through this kind of stuff. And what I'm trying to say is the more you fall into a disorder like bipolar and don't take medication for it and, you know, because bipolar patients suffer from sleep disorders differently um, and, and so sometimes they experience these type of sleep paralysis in a very extreme way and, uh, uh, and quite a bit. But if you treat your disorder, what's likely to happen is you're also going to treat the way you sleep, which will help you in your life. Uh, you know, um, people with ADHD, they have uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Um, you know, that's basically they're hyperactive, they're impulsive, they're inattentive. It's, most of the time it's in children, but there's carryover uh, into adult life. But, you know, they, they get like restless uh, leg syndrome or uh, throbbing or unpleasant sensations in the legs, bedwetting in earlier years. They also suffer from uh, sleep apnea. Uh, often, and uh, they often have very hyperactive memories or dreams, and those dreams often come through the sleep paralysis, and so they get very traumatized by that. But what's happening is their their psychology, their their disorders are exacerbating the situation. But you have to remember, sleep paralysis is not life threatening, but it does cause anxiety. And it does uh, happen alongside other sleep disorders like narcolepsy. You know, it often starts in your adolescence, when your teenage years. And uh, then it can becomes frequent in the 20s and 30s. But it's not a serious risk. You know, it's, it's your brain emoting. It's your brain allowing emotions to flow through you. You know, and, and so your, your senses and, and awareness are intact, but they may feel like there's pressure on them. Uh, like a choking or whatever when you have sleep paralysis. And, uh, you know, it could happen for minutes. It could happen for seconds, but it will end. And you've got to let your brain know that it will end. And the more it experiences sleep paralysis, the more it knows it will end and uh, and not end badly. You know, it's it, it, once again, it's a parasomnia, and it, which is an undesired event um, associated with your sleep. That's what a parasomnia is. And so, you know, it, you know, it's, it, once again, I talked about it, it happens when you're falling asleep or upon awakening in the morning or somewhere in between. And so, um, you know, y if you look at it, 
your sleep, your body is relaxing, your voluntary muscles don't move, and this prevents people from injuring themselves due to acting out in the dreams. So the paralysis involves a disruption or a fragmentation of rapid eye movement cycles. So what it's basically doing is your brain is keeping you safe by keeping you paralyzed because if you react to it, you may hurt yourself or other people. And so it's really important um, to understand that um, some people with REM cycle, uh, they can last up to 90 minutes. That's an hour and a half. And most of that time, uh, the body's totally relaxed, the eyes are moving, and uh, your brain is is dreaming. And so good, you know, the good news is, is that that's all good for you. It's all good for you, and it's how your brain is operating to keep you safe. Um, oftentimes, people, it does run in families, that with people that have a history of sleep paralysis, um, also, it can have uh, it can also uh, create things like migraines or um, uh, hypertension, and and you know it's it's really a strong. Some people sweat. Some people have difficulty breathing. Some people feel like they're about to die. Um, <laughs> you know, they feel this pressure, and uh, they hear these uh, non-threatening sounds and sensations that are uh, stimulus to the brain normally ignores. Um, but all of a sudden, now we're picking up on it in these dreams and picking up on it like in a, in a whole new world or a different world that we're in. Um, but it's not a medical diagnosis. Sleep paralysis is not. But if the symptoms are, you know, oftentimes coming forward and it's getting worse and worse, maybe uh, uh, going to therapy might help. Maybe medical attention might help. Maybe actually making a journal of your dreams might help and dating it. And putting the time, if, if you wake up, and letting your brain work through uh, what it just experienced. Because it can be very traumatic. Very traumatic. You know, because uh, when you're asleep, you're vulnerable. You know, you're totally vulnerable. And so, obviously, you know, you're going to be totally caught off guard. Just like when somebody scares you, um, you about jump out of your skin. Um which is something that my wife likes to do to me is scare me. And I scream like an old woman. Um, so, <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, um, so if you want to improve your sleep, you know, keep bedtime and wake up time consistent, even on holidays and weekends. Very important. You also want to have a really comfortable sleep environment. Um, have really you know, have soft sheets, uh, have good sleepwear that you like, that's breathable, um, and have a clean, dark, and cool bedroom. That also, because you can use your covers to keep you warm, and that actually makes you want to be more comfortable. So people that uh, sleep in a, in a hot environment have oftentimes have a very hard time getting into deep sleep. You Also, it's very important, especially if you take melatonin, uh, melatonin won't come out, and uh, melatonin is what keeps babies sleeping so long, um, and we lose it as we get older. And so, basically, uh, that's why a lot of older folks have trouble sleeping, is because they are running out of melatonin uh, too early in the day, and all of a sudden, their and their brain's not manufacturing much of it. So, what they have to do is take a supplement. So, melatonin, what does that do? Well, it helps you sleep, and that's the that's the brain chemical that helps you sleep. But what's interesting about melatonin is if you expose yourself to light when you take it, it will not 
come forward. It will not activate. So those of you who uh, go to bed uh, watching television, um, you're not going to have good sleep. And especially if you're taking melatonin, it's not going to work. It's worthless because there's light. If there's light in the room, the melatonin will not come out. And so you want to reduce light exposure in the evening, use night lights for the bathroom, and, and uh, you know, and getting good daylight exposure during the waking hours is also very helpful for your sleep. And so um, don't work or study in the bedroom. That's not a good thing. And, and these are recommendations just for better sleep. You know, you avoid napping after 3 o'clock for longer than 90 minutes. Very helpful. Otherwise, you're going to disrupt. And don't eat a heavy meal with within two hours of going to bed. So, you know, uh, don't sleep with your lights and your television on. Um, back off on the alcohol and the caffeine. Exercise daily, but not within two hours of bedtime. Once a minute, these are medical recommendations, medical recommendations for good sleep. Yeah, leave the phones and other devices outside your bedroom. Put electronics aside at least an hour before going to bed. Um, you know, also managing your depression or anxiety, reduced stimulants, medication, practice mediation or meditation or, or regular prayer. That's obvious, you know, and, and don't be in a stressful situation before you go to bed. These are all good recommendations so you can get good sleep. If you get good sleep on a consistent basis, you're likely not going to fall into a sleep paralysis scenario. All right. We're going to talk about the body a little bit. We're going to talk about some examples, some really strong examples of people that have had uh, these, these uh, very vivid sleep paralysis dreams. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about sleep paralysis, paranormal or normal. (laughs) So, you know, your body goes through a sleep cycle, the rapid eye movement, and then there's the non-REM sleep. And so the first part, non-REM, rapid eye movement, is you're drifting through three stages of sleep. With each stage, your breathing pattern grows more rhythmic, and and then uh, you get into a deeper sleep. And uh, even from loud noises, you don't even hear that. And so, you know, these three stages of REM is when dreaming occurs. And during this stage, basically... There's a, uh, I think it's called a neurotransmitter called uh, uh, emitter, and it's called a glycine, and it basically puts your body into a temporary stage of paralysis. So your body can still move involuntary muscles such as the diaphragm, which is your breathing, but your arms and your legs and your voluntary muscles are kept still, and this prevents you from acting out your dreams and hurting yourself or or your partner if they're in bed. And so if, if you awaken suddenly from REM, that glycine-mediated uh, paralysis may still be in effect, even though you're now unconscious. So during this period, you might not be able to move for a long, you know, a little bit of time, for several seconds, even a few minutes. But, but as for the sensation of something like sitting on your chest, it's usually because uh, of the way breathing is regulated by REM, um, you're, because your body's been limiting your diaphragm to rhythmic shallow breaths, you might feel like you can't breathe deeply. And so, you know, if, if something is pressing down and keeping your lungs from, from filling up, the deal is, is that your body, your awareness is now fighting what rim has, what's happened with the glycine, which has slowed everything down and repressed it so that you can be safe in your sleep. And so, you know, some people experience these hallucinations, which basically sleep paralysis, and these visions happen as someone is is coming out of sleep, and, and so they're they are called hypnopompic hallucinations, and they're vivid fragments of dreams, and it's really confusing and really frightening, especially if you're if you're woken up, and and having a really nasty uh, nightmare. And, and so some sleep researchers believe that uh, the hypnopompic hallucinations explain stories of, of nighttime alien abductions and demons visiting your bedroom. And, and so the, because of sleep inertia, the body mechanisms involved in sleep haven't quite caught up with the fact that your brain is woken up. And so the basic cause usually relates to poor sleep. For most people, so that's why in the last segment I was talking about what you need to do to try to go to sleep. And also, um, it happens because you have irregular sleep patterns often, or you're trying to return to a regular sleep schedule, and and you haven't yet. 
And also, it can be caused by anything that spurs frequent awakenings like chronic pain, substance abuse, trips to the bathroom, disturbing nightmares, nicotine withdrawal, or any kind of withdrawal of drugs. Uh, but you're more likely to encounter sleep paralysis if you're under a lot of stress and have uh, experienced threatening or traumatic life events. So people with post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, are much more likely than the average person to have episodes of sleep paralysis. So how do we prevent it? You know, well, we address the underlying cause that's happening. Um, and, and so what is that? A history of trauma. So maybe therapy would be a good thing. Uh, uh, oh, uh, there's a PTSD uh, medication, um, Prazosin. And it has been effective basically in treating the trauma-related induced nightmares that may cause sleep paralysis. So if you have it on a consistent basis, uh, it's possible that um, prazosin can help you uh, go to sleep. And, um, you know, most people who have the best method is, is uh, simply keeping regular sleep schedule. You know, most of us in this day and age are sleep-deprived. Uh, or some people are, I don't know if you are now that we're, we're home all, all the time, but we uh, pick a regular bedtime. Basically, if you, if you pick a good, healthy bedtime that works for you and you make it a priority to get a, a number of hours sleep between seven to nine, um, that leaves you feeling refreshed. And most adults uh, need seven to eight hours, but some need nine. Few need six or seven. It just depends. But you have to remember sleep paralysis isn't harmful. But those those episodes are just oftentimes linked to worrisome disorders such as narcolepsy. But the symptoms make you excessively tired throughout the day and they keep you up at night. And, and if it does, you know, check with your doctor and see if, if some type of medication can help you. Um, you know, it, it's possible that our sense of uh, threat plays a role in converting to the physical experience of, of sleep paralysis, which is, uh, you know, is often a uh, illusion and it's, and it's got a narrative to it. And so the breathing difficulty is, is uh, this element of sleep, uh, the controlled respiration of the REM sleep that we said just earlier, the growing fear, the shortness of breath may be transformed into these hallucinations like a, a malevolent uh, 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 um, uh, shadow or a figure sitting or pressing on your chest. And so fear creates a perception that one or more of something is going to happen. And every time fear is involved, it's a call to action. It's a call to action. And that's what's so messy about fear because fear allows people to run their own life and not live a life for purpose. Um, they, they live in fear, so they live reactively. And so that's what's so sad because with faith, if you look at faith, you don't have to take a call to action with faith. Faith means that it will come to you. It will. It's there for a reason and it has a purpose and it's going to teach you something. You know, normally we wake up and recognize that a dream is just that. And so the, the, the hallucinations, they, they usually will come into our wakefulness. Our ability to conceptualize the experience grows. And, and in a matter of seconds, the, the sleep paralysis is enough for the mind to spiral into illusions of being strangled or possessed. And, and it's your fear, which is the true meaning of that experience. So once again, if you look at trauma and how it correlates to our sense of fear, we, then we understand 
where this stuff comes from, trauma and fear. People that have been traumatized often live in fear and they become very defensive. So if you find yourself paralyzed in the, in the gap between the realities of relaxation and dream, you know, allow the tension to retreat back into your eyelids, allow fear to subside, breathe, and the illusions will soon fade and before long, uh, you'll awaken and your body and your brain will have caught up with each other. And so it's very important to look at that and understand how we can help ourselves. Now, here's some examples of people that have sleep paralysis on a regular basis. And these are quotes from different various people. I've never had any visual encounters. By the way, they don't list the person's name uh, where I got this uh, sourcing. So um, I've never had any visual encounters, but when it happened the first time I was laying on, on my left side, it started to feel that pressure on my chest. And then I realized I was paralyzed. I started panicking. Something whispered in my ear, just coming to say goodnight. And that's when I felt like something was pushing me towards the edge of my bed. And um, another said, uh, I've had three sleep paralysis events. Uh, I saw a cat-sized uh, shadow creature in the base of my bed, and it suddenly uh, slowly crawled up onto my sheets and finally got onto my chest. I felt very uncomfortable. Another time, I saw a shadow man walking around my room, disappearing behind my open door, and this was the scariest one. And the best one, they saw a couple of surreal-looking penguins walking around your bedroom, which was amusing and funny. So, surprisingly, see, paralysis can be funny, I guess. <laughs> so, never in my life. Um, here's another person. I have a few different sleep paralysis demons or one sort of sleep paralysis guardian angel. The demon ones are usually the shadowy figure standing over me or my bedroom door. The worst one was when, while I was lying on my side with my back to the floor, uh, door and someone got into the bed behind me and under the covers and put their arm around my waist. Then I felt like they were cuddling into me and I could feel breath on my neck. And it felt like they uh, cuddled me for about a half hour. And all this time, I'm trying not to show that I'm panicking because it feels like I'm getting cuddled by a skeleton with claws. And it, it was only about a second, maybe a third time that it, they, a person had the sleep process. So I nearly had a heart attack when this thing feels like it's moving in closer to kiss me behind the ear. Worst of all, it whispered, not yet, you're not ready yet, I'll come back when you are. And to, to me, it sounded disappointed and excited, but it felt like it was silently telling me it meant that it was coming back and I was about to die. Um, <laughs> that's a pretty scary sleep paralysis there. Um, here's another one. My sleep paralysis guardian angel was a weird experience. I've been getting sleep paralysis on and off for about 18 months. And at this point, so I could usually tell straight away when it was happening. But at first, I thought it was the usual demon things besides my bed. But when I looked properly, I realized I could clearly see a man kneeling next to my bed, smiling at me. It wasn't a creepy smile. It was more like a parent coming in to check on their kid. And he looked like he was dressed in a 50s-styled suit and hat. And he didn't say anything, although I got the sense he was letting me know everything was all right and he'd look after me. Very interesting. Very interesting. Here's another. My mom once told me that when she was younger, her room lit up and a couple of men dressed in white and gold 
were sitting at the foot of her bed playing music. One had a guitar and the other had some kind of wind instrument. And their mom said she felt joy and peace and she didn't want them to ever go. But when she finally managed to move her bed, her head, she heard one of them say to the other, she's waking up, it's time for us to go. And then they vanished. Interesting, interesting. Here's another example. A girl in a corner of my room staring at me and then without notice she shrieks and runs up and starts to choke me. Another example is a large dark figure, kind of a human silhouette emerging from the foot of the bed and staring down at me. And then something banging and scraping on my bedroom door as I keep it locked at night because I've had ones where it opens itself. And um, and then also my bedroom door opening by itself followed by dark figures coming into the room. That the earliest one I remember is my mother in the room and she's sitting on my bed with her face morphs into a demon-like thing. So, <laughs> so they've stated that the worst thing is when you try to fight or call for help, your voice doesn't work, your body doesn't, won't respond, you just feel helpless and you, you, you just need to stop remembering because <laughs> you get chills. <laughs> and then another person said they had a little creature eating something on the floor. Now they're right next to your face chewing and then something whispers, remember me. You know... Some other person said mine are a lot more evil than that, usually not on my body. My, their, their experience uh, was a demon in the corner of the room uh, where they could speak some sort of gibberish to you. So these are just examples, just examples. And so should you wake someone up? 99% of the time, a person would rather not be woken up uh, in that state of sleep. Um, the, but... If you do wake somebody up, I don't think it's going to be dangerous. I don't think it's going to be too dangerous for you to do that from what most people report. But, you know, it just takes them a while to recover. And that's what you have to remember. All right. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you know, I, I think it's incredible that we're all making it through this great time. I know that there's a lot of tragedy going on, too. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. You can do that through our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, one of the worst nightmares you could have is being stuck with all the relatives you hate during coronavirus. And also remember, sleeping was my problem during school. If, 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 if it started at four in the afternoon, I'd be a college graduate. <laughs> That's George Foreman. He is a fighter, by the way. And this is uh, uh, Anthony Bourget. Laugh and the world laughs with you. Snore and you sleep alone. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 